Welcome to Musar for Sar Shalom and the Lapid Nation. I'm Batya Gage. So glad you have joined us today uh, as we work on perfecting our midot, our character traits. Well, here we are. We're almost at the end of the three weeks uh, leading up to the ninth of Ab. In fact, uh, we're in the week of the nine days leading up to the ninth of Ab. A lot of us have been abstaining from certain things, uh, meat and music and other things. Um, tomorrow night, we actually enter into the day of the 9th of Av. And uh, Sar Shalom will be having a service, I believe, both Wednesday night and Thursday morning. And generally, we read the book of Echa, which is Lamentations. And uh, we mourn for the loss of our temple. Um, this evening, I mean, uh, last, this summer, excuse me, this summer we have been studying the book by Rabbi Moshe Luzato, The Path of the Just, and we spent the last few weeks uh, looking at one uh, trait, which was cleanliness. And we finally finished that last week and ready to move on to a new one this week. So let's just kind of go back and review what we covered last week real quickly. Uh, he decided, to, Ron Call, as we call him, uh, decided to focus on certain character traits that he considered were very harmful. Um, and those were pride and anger among others and uh, it is said in Pirkei vote, who is courageous one who uh, conquers his inclination so waging war on the evil inclination the Yetzirah and winning that war is, is considered very courageous he began with the uh, uh, looking at pride and he said the underlying principle of pride is uh, a very high regard for oneself and thinking that oneself deserves some honor. And um, sometimes I, I think about um, uh, Haman. And, you know, who would a man want to honor besides me? Um, and so a very arrogant attitude um, and most arrogant attitudes and behaviors are outgrowths of pride. The sages say in Mishlei 16.5, the haughty of heart are the abomination of Hashem. And Rabbi Luzato warns us that to acquire the attribute of cleansing, cleanliness, uh, we have to cleanse ourselves of this trait of pride. If we really want to be able to look at ourselves with truth and see where we need to work, where we need to improve, uh, we just need to cleanse ourselves of this uh, attribute of pride. Then he looked at one of the most difficult traits that uh, sometimes we struggle with, and that is anger. And a statement from the sages from Shabbos 105b said, whoever gets angry is regarded as though he engaged in idolatry. And we've looked at why they say that quite a few times. But basically, once you lose control in anger, you are submitting to your anger and no longer to his, the will of Hashem. He described several types of people that get angry, and maybe you saw yourself in one of these. Um, <clears throat> the first one was the one who gets angry over everything all of the time. They're just constantly angry. 
The next person was the one who doesn't get angry quite so easily, but when he does, she does, it's a volcano going off. It just damage is done um, and it explodes everywhere. The next time, next type is the person who doesn't get angry easily um, and doesn't necessarily explode. They're they're restrained, but they're hanger oners. They hang on to that anger for a while. Um, they let it simmer and sit there for a while before they let it go. Then we looked at the one who's preferable, which is slow to anger. One who is slow to anger. We looked at a lot of scriptures that really support he uh, to be slow of anger. But then we went farther and we looked at one more. And that was Hillel the elder who had completely cleansed himself of the trait of anger. He His level was beyond all of these and he just never got angry. Um, I'm sometimes reminded as I'm studying this of the movie Ushpazim. And if you haven't seen it, it, it's a great, great, great Sukkot movie. We watch it every year around Sukkot. But it's also a good movie about anger. And the character in the movie, Moshe, is really trying to eradicate his life from anger. And apparently he's had a history of anger. And he's trying to turn his life around and get rid of anger. And he is sent a test. And if you know the story, um, he has a very prized possession carelessly destroyed by someone and the scene is him it's a great scene he's running into the forest running 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 and crying out to Hashem I don't want to be angry it's a great movie if you haven't seen it I encourage you to see it next he turned to envy and he says if we truly believe that everything we have is allotted to us uniquely by Hashem then what is the purpose of envy? It doesn't take anything away from the person we're envious of, and it doesn't add anything to our list of things that have been allotted to us. He described a couple of different types of people that have uh, envy. One is the one um, who is just so envious he can't even be happy with what he does have. Another one is okay with, uh, if you can have stuff as long as you're my friend, but if you're outside that tight circle, then um, he just uh, he becomes very envious of you. Hand in hand with envy is lust and desire. And in particular, he covered two areas, money and honor. And the one who runs after and lusts for money, more money, more money, is never satisfied by more money. Uh, and lust for money distracts us. We're so busy trying to get money and work and get more money. It distracts us from our avodah, from our service of Hashem. And he says worse than that is the lust for honor. And this person cannot stand to see anyone elevated at all, except, of course, himself. The sages in Pirkei Avot say, Envy, lust, and the pursuit of honor remove man from the world. They also teach, do not seek greatness and do not yearn for honor. Pirkei Avot 6.5 He wraps up this section on honor by saying that it, that, 
This desire for honor is our greatest obstacle in serving Hashem. It becomes such a hurdle in trying to serve Hashem. And the true honor comes from knowledge of Torah. And it is worthwhile to ourselves to completely cleanse ourselves from this attribute of desire for honor. Then he finally concluded this whole chapter 11 with some very good sound advice that could be used for lots of areas. And that is, first of all, decide on the goal. Is your goal going to be cleansing yourself to attain this uh, attribute of cleanliness? The next thing is to resolutely determine to possess the goal, the, the cleanliness. And then third, it's just to form the right habits to reach the goal. Now, that could be used for any goal you're trying to reach. Um, and he says, once you do this, you will gain it with much less effort than you might think possible. Then we looked at the short little chapter of chapter 12 on how to acquire cleanliness because really he only added one thing to what he's already said about vigilance and alacrity. He added one thing. And that was knowledge. Uh, to acquire the attribute of cleanliness, uh, he says we must study the mitzvot, study the halakha, and do so continuously because we are such forgetful creatures. For once we know them and all their details, um, and we've we've done vigilance, we've done alacrity, that it's just a matter of knowing and doing. Just you you know, and then you go and do. And he says the same thing applies to character development. Um, if we want to improve our character in any area, uh, we, we need to study and know the great Musar text or the great ethical text, which is what we do every Tuesday. And then we, he ended with uh, only one obstacle to our acquiring um, cleanliness, uh, and that is, of course, the lack of knowledge. Our sages teach in Perkei Avot 2.5, An ignorant person can never become pious, for the one who does not know cannot do. Okay, so we finally finished our chapter 11. We're ready to move on to the next attribute. And you know, just when you think you've got something, some concept figured out, someone comes along with a, yeah, but on the other hand, so that's what we're going to talk about today, the other hand. You know, Rabbi talked quite a bit recently, and we also studied some on the topic of oaths and vows. And we looked at that from all different sides, and we basically summarized our study of oaths with just say no. Just say no to oaths. And the sages ask, is it not enough what the Torah prohibits that you restrict yourself with other prohibitions? Isn't there enough in the, that the Torah tells you not to do? Why would you add to yourself more things you can't do? So now we come to chapter 13. And if you've read the chapter, uh, you might be struggling with this a little bit because this is the other hand. Uh, so let's dive into this subject, see if we can reconcile this. Are we to prohibit ourselves things or are we not? Um, and basically, abstinence is denying ourselves things that would otherwise be permissible by, by Torah. So he begins this study by saying that abstinence is to piety as vigilance 
is to alacrity. So if you remember, we said vigilance dealt with prohibitions and alacrity dealt with uh, the positive actions. So he says that uh, abstinence deals with things that are prohibited. And he gives us three areas or three levels of prohibitions. One is, of course, those that are clearly prohibited by Torah. Then there are those things that uh, we or the sages have developed a fence around the Torah to keep us from even getting close to violating the Torah. And then there's this third area, which is really what we're mostly going to talk about today, and that is individual restrictions that we set for ourselves, individual prohibitions uh, that we just come up with on our own for ourselves. So then Ramakal asks the question that we're probably having, why would we do this? Why would we create new decrees that even the sages saw no reason to do? So he continues with this thought and with some warnings, the sages warn against enacting too many self-prohibitions because pretty soon there's no limit. It just goes on and on. Well, if I limit myself in this area, maybe I'll limit myself in this area and then it goes on and on. And he says the result will be a person who is empty and depressed and deprived of all enjoyment in the world. If we deprive ourselves of everything that's meant to give joy, Pretty soon we're without any joy at all. <clears throat> so Romkal goes on to say that abstinence can be vital and necessary, but there's a distinction that we have to make between that the kind of abstinence that we have been commanded to do and the kind that we've been commanded to avoid. And he um, he t- he defines the type of uh, abstinence that is good and. You know, even in our own Musar study, if you've been with us over the last couple of years, we have uh, looked at when we were designed by Hashem, He also designed a curriculum that's just for you. Uh, It involves hardships, tests, things, lessons you need to learn. In fact, I was just speaking with one of you a couple hours ago, and you, one of you, told me uh, the greatest story. <clears throat> a man struggled in life with some hardships and he went you know went to the alum haba and stood before Hashem and he said Hashem why did you give me so many hardships Hashem said okay why don't you go back there in the storehouse of of hardships and there's all these boxes and it's different hardships and you pick the one that you want and I'll give you a do over So this man goes into the warehouse of hardships, looks and looks and looks at all the hardships, this box, that box. Finally, in the back corner, he finds a small box of hardships. He picks up that box and he takes it back to Hashem and he says, okay, here's the one I choose. Hashem says, that's the one you choose? He said, yeah, that's the one I choose. He goes, you've chosen your own hardships. So we probably wouldn't choose any other body's curriculum because our curriculum is designed for us. What tempts you may not tempt someone else. What struggles you have, someone else doesn't have and and vice versa. And he gives us some examples. And the first one he talks about is food. Now we can, you know, we know that there's certain 
prohibitions by Torah. Um, there's not, it's not an extensive list, but a very clear list of things that are prohibited. But outside of that, um, there's many things that are permitted. But we can also see, if we look at it, how even permitted kosher food could lead us astray. So let's look at that. We could overeat. We could eat something that specifically for our body type is not healthy. Or let's say that we're accustomed to eat dinner every day at six o'clock and we get home and our spouse has not have dinner on the table at six o'clock and we get angry or we say harsh words or we're just basically ungrateful. Um, so there's many ways that we can go astray even with permitted foods. Alcohol may be another one. Alcohol is permitted, but if it causes you to become angry or out of control, then it's no longer permitted, perhaps, for you. And heaven forbid that we should be completely deprived of food. What would you do to get food? Steal? Kill? Deny Hashem? So we don't even want to think about that. We won't even go there. <clears throat> so it may be good at times to abstain from food, either certain kinds of food, like perhaps alcohol, or abstain from food for a certain period of time, like we're going to do on Wednesday night and Thursday. But that also trains our body to, uh, to, to, be, to be without food for a time. And it gives us more control over our, our physical desires. Another one is that of sexual desires. While certainly with our spouse it's permitted and good, uh, we could probably think of many ways that this permitted act could lead us astray. Uh, perhaps we don't have a spouse. Uh, uh, in that case, our sexual desires could certainly lead us astray. Um, of course, the Torah already requires us to abstain from sexual activity for a certain period every month in certain cases. And again, that's a way of training our body um, to, that we are in control of these desires and not our body. Um, <clears throat> and so if we don't have a spouse, perhaps this is an area where we would take on extra uh, abstinences so that we are not led into sin. And for you, that may be different than it is for someone else. A couple more examples that he gives us. One is interesting, especially for us women, but for some men as well, is regarding our appearance. And Torah only has a few limited requirements regarding what we wear and pretty much leaves us to choose within reason what we wear outside those limitations. But again, <clears throat> we can think of many ways that we could sin um, even outside of that. Um, we could become too focused on our appearance and perhaps develop some pride or haughtiness. We could <clears throat> become arrogant and perhaps even our dress and appearance could lead us to adultery. I have heard more than one story about someone who lost a lot of weight, got into really good shape, and began looking really good, and decided to have an affair on their spouse. So our appearance can really 
um, if we become too focused on that, lead us astray. Uh, in fact, Ramkal quotes the sages from Bereshit Rabbah 22.6. Interesting quote. When the evil inclination, the Yetzirah, sees a person adjusting his heel, his tidying his garments, grooming his hair, it says, this one is mine. Ouch. <clears throat> so, what kind of an abstinence might we take on in this area? Perhaps you would... Um, uh, limit yourself to only certain kinds of clothes or less beautiful clothing or maybe you're only going to allot yourself a certain amount of money for clothes um, so this may be something that you need to implement for you but someone else doesn't the last example he gives us is the simple act of speech and conversation outside the Torah limit limitation on speech we can very easily think of many 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 ways and we've looked at a lot of them lately lying verbal abuse Lashon Hara uh, Mishle 1019 says one who overindulges in speech cannot avoid sinning the more we talk the more inclined we are to get into trouble with our speech so <clears throat> we might take on a voluntary abstinence from social contacts a, a period of silence perhaps not like we have heard the monks do with these lifelong uh, vow of silence but perhaps a day or uh, an afternoon or um, some people even take on a um, voluntary abstinence from Facebook for a period of time perhaps they've gotten into some Lashon Hurrah or they're hearing Lashon Hurrah so they take a Facebook break so if you find yourself particularly attracted to some worldly pleasure this might be an area to look at and see is there a voluntary abstinence that I could implement to help me in this area only for you not for someone else um, Ramkal asks a really good question if these voluntary abstentions are so vital and good and necessary, why didn't the sages already enact them for us? And the answer is very interesting. And it will require some thought on our part and some further study in the weeks to come. They say in Bhava Kama 79b, they only enacted decrees that the majority of people could abide by. And then Romkal follows up that with that the majority of people will never attain the status or level of piousness. For them, it's enough to be righteous. Well, you know what the next question is? What is the difference between piety and righteousness now in a couple of weeks we're going to study in more depth the attribute of piety so but briefly righteousness means doing the right thing where piety is more about intent and condition of the heart and um, kavanah um, it's a much higher level but we'll look at that in a couple of weeks but here's a couple of real life today examples let's say you're an average person 
<clears throat> you decide you want to get healthy, you go to your doctor, your, your nutritionist or whatever, and you say, I, I want to get healthy. And so they say, okay, well, eat more fruits and vegetables, drink more water, get a little exercise. You Okay. But let's say you're an Olympic athlete and you go to your team doctor or whatever and you say, I want to win the gold medal. Now then, your plan is going to be a whole lot different. Your diet's going to be more restricted. Perhaps you're not going to have any alcohol. You're going to have hours of exercise. So for you to reach that level, you're going to have to do different things. Let's take another one. Let's say, not many people do this anymore, but it still happens. Let's say you decided to enter into an arranged marriage. <clears throat> you never met this person, but you, or just briefly met them, but you decide to enter into this arranged marriage. You want to be a good spouse. You want to be a good wife or a good husband. You do all the right things as required as a part of the marriage. But compare that to someone who has met their soulmate. Now, when they do things for their spouse, it's on a whole different level and intent. And um, the whole marriage just takes on a different look. Ron Call says about those singular individuals among the nations whose desire is to get so close to Hashem, Devakut, that they will bring merit uh, through their merit, they will be, bring benefits to the masses. They are the ones who fulfill the tenets of piousness um, that others just aren't capable of. Um, so now he looks at harmful types of abstinence. And it's funny that he compares this to those done by the Gentiles. He says, they deny themselves things that are essential. Um, and then they chastise themselves. We've probably seen pictures of people in certain religions that flog themselves, either metaphorically or physically. The sages say in Tanit 22b, a person is not allowed to mortify himself. They even say, whoever fasts regularly is called a sinner because it's our duty to sustain our soul and the body that houses the soul. So Rumkal gives us a fundamental rule for how to know and make this distinction. He said a person should abstain from worldly matters that are unessential. On the other hand, if he regards something as essential for whatever reason, because it is essential to him, if he, re dis if he disregards this principle and abstains from it, he is then a sinner. Difficult concepts here. And the application of the specifics is left to his own discretion. Now, I would add to that that we have to be very discerning and truthful with ourselves on what we personally label as essential or non-essential. To an alcoholic, alcohol might be essential. And so on. So we got to be very clear with ourselves what is essential and what is non-essential that I could abstain from. Okay, in chapter 14, he... Uh, 
looks at the elements of this attribute of abstinence and he says it really uh, there's three major elements there's abstinence from pleasures abstinence in areas regarding holocaust and abstinence in social contact today i guess we'd call it social distancing abstinence from pleasures includes some of those things we've been talking about food sexual activity uh, appearance clothing those kinds of things but we should not take anything that we regard as essential thursday here's a here's an example that might fall under this thursday is a, a fast day but let's say that you uh, take a certain medication that requires that you eat in order to take the medication don't abstain from eating that's essential for you that's essential for your good continued health um, but even right now we're abstaining from meat we're abstaining from music so those are things um, maybe so you know uh, maybe there's a period of time you want to abstain from uh, noise from even conversation then there's abstinence in halakhic matters um, and it consists of being exceptionally stringent in a particular area and rabbi brought up I can't remember if it was today or yesterday uh, probably yesterday uh, he brought up a very good example and he said that in some um, areas of Judaism if you have one hair showing out from under your tekel then the world has ended but other areas of Judaism a little hair showing basically your hair is mostly covered you're good and um, but if you hold to that higher halakhic stringency on yourself that doesn't give you permission to judge someone else because they have some hair showing and besides we know from our study of Talmud that there are areas in which Halakha has just not been firmly decided we can even look at the study and lives of Hillel and Shammai and they differed in many areas uh, Hillel tended to rule on the more lenient side Shammai more on the more stringent side and we know from study that Yeshua generally tended to go with Hillel on the more lenient side except in a few areas um, so even in these areas it's it's a personal decision not something that you uh, hold someone else to I had a teacher one time say uh, if I can say it correctly if you want to build high fences for yourself that's okay but build low fences for other people Ron Call tells the example here's a good example of Mar Ukfa from Chulin 105a and he says if my father had eaten meat today he would not eat cheese until this time tomorrow um, he said yet when I eat meat I just wait till the next meal to eat cheese his father had taken on this voluntary extra stringency but that doesn't mean he's gonna hold other people to it um, abstinence and social conduct consists of solitude separation from society to perhaps free one's heart for the service of Hashem for contemplation for extra prayer you know like we said taking a Facebook break 
but we again are cautioned not to lean to the extreme because the sages say in Ketubot 17a, a person's demeanor should always be oriented towards people, not towards solitude. We don't live by ourselves. We don't, uh, we can't really uh, fulfill our service of Hashem in a vacuum by ourselves on a deserted island. And they say one should join the company of good people for as long as may be necessary for Torah study, earning a livelihood. Then afterwards, he can seclude himself for a period of time. He ends this chapter by saying that abstinence involves many areas, many human activities, and we should uh, deal with these with our own good judgment. And I again would add that when we take on these voluntary abstinences, we have to keep in mind that it is our abstinence that we have put on ourselves and not everyone's. We cannot criticize other people because they don't live up to this thing that I have put on to myself. Just like the father who abstained from cheese until the next day, uh, he would not expect his son to do that. Then in chapter 15, we look at, okay, so how do we acquire this attribute of abstinence? The first thing, or the main thing that we have to do is be able to uh, carefully, truthfully examine the pleasures of the world and our enticement towards them. Bereshit 3, 6. The woman saw that the tree was good to eat. It was desirable to the eyes, and the tree was attractive to gain intelligence. So she took from the fruit and she ate it. She saw that it was good, but she did not discern that it was not good for her to eat, that that was false information she had been given. We have to work at discerning the true nature of these pleasures. And most of the worldly pleasures have a very temporary satisfaction if any at all and once we can see the true nature of these worldly pleasures then it would should be easier for us to cast them out of our lives to abstain from them no big deal for you know we can see the short-lived nature of food um we once we've eaten the taste is gone then the pretty soon it's digested and the food is completely gone from our body now we all love to eat good tasting food, but probably our body would be sustained with less tasty food. Um, but the true, you know, we have to see that the true nature of food, um, it, it gives only a temporary satisfaction. Um, and most pleasures of this world, their satisfaction is only temporary. And on the other hand, if, mis if misused, can bring harm and even lead us into sin. And so we have to be able to discern this and see this clearly. And then he says we will be free from the imprisonment that the world places on us. Then we will be able to find pleasure in only that which is essential and good. Solitude can be very valuable um, in in gaining this level of discernment. Sometimes you just got to get by yourself and let Hashem speak to you and, and be able to think. 
you know, uh, being able to get away from the world and take these things away from our eyes. I mean, just think about advertisements. How many times have you not even realized you needed something until you saw the advertisement about a thing? And now you got a need, you got to have it. Um, so some solitude will remove some of those things from your eyes and um, make it easier. Both Elijah and Elisheva spent a lot of time in solitude, but not 100%. He ends this chapter with a caution. Do not jump into abstinence too quickly, but do it slowly over time progressively until you adapt to that level and then if you want to take on another one um, then it will become kind of just part of you and second nature but don't jump in too much too quickly too extreme okay we have covered the attribute of abstinence and hopefully we've cleared up maybe the confusion, the other hand and the one hand. Anyway, let's do a quick review. Rome Call began this study by saying that abstinence is to piety as vigilance is to alacrity. Um, abstinence deals with prohibitions, things we limit ourselves from doing. And there's three levels. Of course, the highest level is those prohibited clearly by Torah. The second level is those things that we prohibit based on a fence around the Torah. And then the third level, the lowest level, are those that we put on ourselves for only ourselves. He, he says that abstinence can be necessary and vital, uh, but we need to be able to make the distinction between uh, that which we've commanded to do and that which we've com been commanded to avoid. And he gives us some examples. We looked at many examples, food, sexual activity, clothing, all of these. All of these are areas that have permitted parts, um, but could lead uh, people astray and might lead you astray in one area and someone else in another area. And the way to find that is to think what you're particularly drawn to. What kind of worldly pleasure? Um, is it food? Is it something else? And, and those are areas that you might want to consider enacting a personal voluntary abstinence. In Bhavakama, the sages say um, that they only enacted decrees that the majority of people could live by. Ram, Ramkhal says that the majority of people will never attain piousness. We'll have to see in a couple of weeks if we agree with him. Um, but for the masses, it is enough to be righteous. So the sages did not enact heavy stringencies on the masses. Um, if you, The difference we looked at, what is the difference between piety and righteousness? Righteousness is doing the right thing. Piety is on a whole other level that deals with intent and the heart. And, and we'll look at all that in a couple of weeks. And then he goes on to say that there are singular individuals in the world, among the nations, who, who have drawn so close to Hashem, cling to Hashem, that through their merits, they can bring benefits to the masses. And they are the ones who fulfill the tenets of piousness. And sometimes they do it through voluntary abstinences. 
Then he gives us a fundamental rule. A person should only abstain from those things that are considered by him to be non-essential. Don't limit yourselves from things that are essential for you. If you need to eat Thursday to take your medicine, eat. Um, and he says the rest of it is left to our discretion. I would say that we have to use a lot of discernment to distinguish between what we really consider essential and non-essential. And then he looked at three areas where abstinences might be in, put into place. Uh, pleasures. Um such as food, sexual activity, and so on. The second one is halakhic matters, uh, setting yourself a higher halakha than everyone else, uh, like the man did with the cheese and the meat, and social conduct, periods of solitude, not a life of solitude. And I added that we, uh, when we take on a voluntary abstinence, we've got to remember it's only ourselves that have taken this on. And now we cannot judge other people for doing something not to our level because we've taken on an additional voluntary abstinence. In chapter 15, we looked at how do we acquire abstinence. And the way is to clearly see these worldly pleasures, that our attraction towards them, and their very temporary satisfaction that they bring. And be, being able to, to see them clearly will free us from being attached to these things. Most pleasures only last a short time, if any. Um, uh, we will be able to find then pleasure in only that which is essential and good, um, for example, solitude can be very valuable in gaining this level of discernment, but again, um, not 100% solitude. Solitude can remove from our eyes those things that we desire, like we talked about advertisements. If we didn't see the advertisement, we probably wouldn't have desired that thing. And then he ends this chapter with a caution that not to jump into this abstinence too fast, too quick, too much, too stringent. Take it slow, progressively, put in what abstinence it works for you, then do another until it just becomes a part of your life. All right, well, that is our lesson today. Thank you for joining us. Please click like and share the video with someone if Facebook will let you. And then come back next week and we'll study the attribute of purity. Um, I've stayed a little bit ahead, so it's kind of an interesting attribute. And we'll continue on this journey of the path of the just. Have a great week, a meaningful fast, and pray for the rebuilding of the temple in our days. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.